Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. We're recording this here on Tuesday morning. I believe it's December the 8th. Mike Rutherford in Louisville, Kentucky. Danny Sennard, Dumpster Dan uh, Sennard in Columbus, Ohio. And Dan, it's the second straight week where we start off with like a, holy shit, where do we even go? Uh, because so much happens since the last time we talked. In any other week. Josh Pastner beating down Kentucky with an 0-2 Georgia Tech team would be the lead, or maybe it would be the NCAA's response to Louisville's response, or maybe it would be uh, the basketball team COVID. But, I, I mean, I, I feel like we have to start by talking about the Scott Satterfield drama, do we not? Yeah, I mean, I would say out of if, if you're taking the temperature of, of Louisville fans, I'd say that was probably um, the thing that's – out of all the news has probably been most discussed. Um, and it, it seems like it's been a, a roller coaster of, of feelings and, um, and whatnot. So yeah, I'd say that's a good place to start. Can we just get our guy Scott to take a couple plays off? Like, like we, we just need to, I, I never thought I would say this, but we actually needed the Wake Forest game to stay on December 19th. When, when, when all said and done, like who would have thought that moving the game back up a week? would wind up having this much of a, an effect on the general perception of Louisville football, both nationally and here with the fan base. And, I mean, we kind of said this a week ago when there was some stuff happening, but it just it, it's all such a mess right now. And, and I guess we'll start the conversation. I'll go back to Friday when <clears throat> I started getting – Friday night, I, I got three texts all sort of saying the same thing, but basically saying, like, South Carolina – Satterfield, that whole thing, it's not done. And the, the stories were a little bit different on the fine details, but pretty much all saying he talked to them today. And like right then I was just like, oh, well, Saturday's going to fucking suck. And I love that it came on the heels of the last podcast where I talked about how there's nothing good. Nothing good comes from me having to report bad news. Um, and so I kind of waited. I, I figured that somebody was going to – I didn't have the fine details to write the story anyway. I couldn't have put it out there Friday night. Um, I, I was 95% sure that a meeting happened, but the other important details were kind of hit or miss there. But I figured somebody from South Carolina would say something. That's exactly what happened. Um, I, I got the full confirmation that this meeting happened, um, so I went ahead and posted the story on Card Chronicle saying they reported this. I'm confirming it. So technically not breaking bad news, but confirming bad news, which didn't stop a healthy portion of Louisville fans from being like, why are you doing this? You're sabotaging recruiting. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, I, yeah, this is totally my fault. But not surprisingly, <clears throat> the reaction from Louisville fans is extreme. Um, they're upset. They're not happy with what's going on. We finally get the full story from Scott Satterfield's point of view via the Courier Journal's Cameron Teague Robinson, who was on top of everything on Saturday, did a, a really, really good job covering that story. And, and Satterfield comes out and says, it wasn't an interview. It was a conversation, which does nothing to, to throw water on the fire here because everybody's like, you know, you're driving two hours to Bowling Green to have a conversation on a Friday in person in the middle of a pandemic. That doesn't add up. They're kind of like, I think the spin that they tried to put on briefly was that they were down there for a, um, one of his son's football games. His kid plays for Christian Academy. The problem with that is they, they were playing Glasgow, which is about 45 minutes still outside of Bowling Green. So you still had to go out of your way to have that talk. Uh, I guess I'll just ask you when the story first kind of came out on Saturday and started un unfurling, what were your overall emotions here? Were you as mad as everybody else or were you kind of like a, a wait and see? Where were you at mentally? 
I mean, me and you text a lot. I I think we're we're pretty. I would say compared to maybe, and I don't want to say a majority of the fan base, but a lot of the fan base that we see on Twitter. I would say we're pretty rational and and don't get too emotional about it. Um, we did text each other. If this gets out um, that he did, in fact, you know, if fans see that he had the interview, you know, shit's going to hit the fan, and and that's exactly what happened. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm kind of realistic about where the Louisville football like program is as far as. Um, the stature of the head coaching position is in like the pecking order of college football. Um, but I've also seen this movie way too many times. So uh, honestly, uh, was I upset? I would be lying if I said I wasn't upset. Um, do I kind of see, um, from Scott Satterfield's point of view, um, you know, maybe what he's, <laughs> what his, goals and aspirations are, you know, as, you know, a career move. Yeah, I, I can kind of see it, but um, it doesn't make it hurt, you know, any less when somebody doesn't want you. Um, and, and that just kind of see that conversation, you know, I, we'll get into it more, you know, what the players are tweeting out and whatnot. But I mean, just to have that conversation in year two of being here, um, it, it, unfortunately it, it kind of tells you what you need to know about maybe his mindset and maybe what his final goals are as a head coach. I, I think it's the fine details that really have Louisville fans upset about this. It's not just the, he talked with somebody at South Carolina. He talked with the AD at South Carolina about an open job. It's everything else. It's first of all, it's the, the fact that when this first came up, that there was potential interest a couple of weeks ago, he had the non-denial denial, which I, I, I thought he handled that poorly. Um, the statement that came out was very carefully worded. And I remember, I think, texting you and, and our other buddies and saying, I'll be shocked if he doesn't talk to South Carolina in the next three weeks. Because the way it was laid out, the way that he put it out there, it was a very carefully crafted Jimmy Sexton-esque statement, which we've heard all about Jimmy Sexton this week. Everybody, I think, now knows in the city of Louisville that that's his agent, and this is kind of what his clients tend to do. Um, but he put it out saying, I have not actively sought another job or anything like that. I'm committed to Louisville. And it, it, it just, it stunk of, if they come and talk to me, I'm going to listen. If they ask me to interview, I'm probably going to listen. And that's exactly what wound up happening. But I, I think it's the fact that, one, kind of the, the forgotten f- fact in all of this is that, and maybe, hey, maybe this is big picture. Maybe Scott Satterfield's going big brain here and is doing a classic distraction move. He's the head coach of the Louisville football team that was picked to finish fourth in the 15-team ACC going into the season and is probably going to finish somewhere between 12th and 14th. They're 2-7 and seven in the league right now. They play Wake Forest to end the year on Saturday. It's been a dismal season for Louisville football, so I think that him kind of trying to parlay something or the, at least the perception that he's out there talking to other schools, maybe with the intent of giving himself a raise or maybe to use Louisville as a uh, you know, springboard to somewhere else, that's going to rub Louisville fans the wrong way. The other thing is, if it is in fact, which footballscoop.com, you know, they're kind of hit or miss. So who knows exactly how accurate their report is, but they came out in the middle of all the, the fury going on on Saturday and we're like, two sources tell us that Scott Satterfield is attempting to get a raise from Louisville. And I was like, God damn it. Uh, but like, to try and get a raise in the middle of not just a, a season where you're two and seven in the ACC, but where so many staff members at UofL have either been laid off or put on furlough 
or been asked to take salary reductions, like to, to be trying to, you know, swindle Louisville into giving you more money, that's not going to play well either with the fan base. And again, who knows if that's uh, accurate or not. But just all of that stuff, th- those minor details, this would rub Louisville fans the wrong way in any situation. But especially right now with everything happening in 2020 and with what's going on with the football season, it wasn't going to play well. Because I'm kind of like you, sort of like you were saying, I kind of have that mindset of, you can't kill me, I'm already dead, when it comes to being a full believer in football coaches that are going to be here for you know 30 years and are here with you for the good times and the bad times. And even when they retire, they're going to show up to games like Denny Crum wearing their red Cardinal sweater vest at, at Cardinal Stadium and doing like I just don't think that person exists. And I, I, I kind of stopped believing in it back in the 2000s. I know I think a lot of people were – their moment – was when Charlie Strong walked away. Because if anybody was going to be a lifer at Louisville, it would be the guy who was passed over multiple times for head coaching positions for racial reasons and who wound up getting his first opportunity from the from the University of Louisville and who you know cried at his press conference about finally, finally getting this chance and who was going to get into the ACC. Like It was the perfect setup for Charlie Strong to stay here forever. And not only did he not want to stay here forever – he wanted to bolt every possible opportunity when, when these Power Five, other Power Five conference jobs wound up opening up. So, uh, yeah, like I, I would love to have a successful coach stay here for two or three decades, something along those lines. But I've kind of adapted the mentality of come here for a few years, win as much as you can, build the program back if it's in a bad place, or or improve upon it if it's in a good place, and then hopefully we can go out and hire somebody who's going to do a similar or even better job and just kind of keep that momentum going. Um, and then maybe one day the program will get to a place where people want to stay here that long. But when you look across college football, like almost every job is a stepping stone job. Exactly. No, you're exactly – I was thinking about that. I mean, there's not a lot of – you know, I mean, we can even say – I mean, Nick Saban bounced around a lot before he got to Alabama. I mean, there's yeah. just not a whole lot of – longevity as far as college football as a program and and for me I mean with Scott it's it's kind of a read the room situation he doesn't owe the fans I in my opinion he doesn't owe the fans anything um but with that being said um when he did take this job I mean it I'm sure it, it, it was relayed to him um, by by Vince that hey you know this this fan base has been through a lot with with football coaches you know thinking that they're committed and then leaving and whatnot and like I said he he doesn't owe the fans anything but I'd, I'd say the thing that rubbed me really the wrong way about this was it was just three weeks earlier that he was taking almost backhanded shots at Javion Hawkins for opting out of the program. Um, You cannot do that and then turn around and do this three weeks later. I mean, and and like I said, and and we'll talk about it, but I mean, it sounds like whatever he's saying in the locker room to the players, I mean, they're, they're buying in, they're all in, um, which is great. I mean, if, if the players are all in, if he can hold this recruiting class that he has together, I'm on the train. I'm 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 still on board. Um, you know, because I, I think when it comes to having a successful program, it, everyone has to be bought in. Um, not necessarily the fans, but I mean, I, as, as far as everyone in that locker room. So we're not there every day. Maybe there's a reason, you know, that that he's talking to people maybe close to back home that we don't know about. Um, that maybe only his players know about. We have no idea. So. 
Um, it, from an outside perspective, yeah, I'm a little confused. Um, some things that he's done have, have rubbed me the wrong way. You know, if, if the players are, are on board with him, um, if he can hold this recruiting class together, and, and you know, I don't know what the off season is going to be like as far as the coaching staff. If he can hold some of the coaches, you know, keep them on staff, um, then I, I'm still in on this guy. I, I do think that he's wanted for a reason. I know it's been a shitty year, but um, I, I still think from like a, a coaching standpoint. This, I think he'll do a good job of building this program if if he does get everyone to buy in and he is here for you know at least I would say four years. And I think you can still be, to, to use your phrase, like on board. We're all Louisville fans. If you're listening to this, you're a Louisville fan. You want to see Louisville football be successful. I think you can still be you know cheering for Louisville and and still supporting the program, supporting the players, and supporting the coaches, and still be pissed off right now. Like you, you can be both. And I'm. Like I, I'm with you. I did not like the Javian Hawkins comments surprised me, and they rubbed me the wrong way. I, I don't think you can say that. And his explanation for them on Monday uh, during his press conference was even worse than the initial comments, and it definitely got a lot of run both here locally and nationally, where he's saying, you know, that there's a big difference between the players and the coaches. The coaches have careers and families to think about. Kind of just negating the fact that maybe Javian Hawkins, like this is his opportunity to make a living. Like he's trying to. To, to make football a professional career. He's making a business decision. He wants to get paid to play this game and improve his own life and improve you know, his family's life and maybe generations of the Hawkins family down the line if he winds up having enough success. I thought that was a pretty tone-deaf response. And honestly, the entire Monday press conference was, I, I wrote it this morning, it was awkward at best, it was irritating at worst because he just, and we haven't really seen him like this. He's been pretty good in front of the mic when, when he's been, Kind of awkward. It's been a kind of folksy, uh, adorable awkward. It hasn't been this bumbling and, and seeming like he's searching for the right words that just aren't coming, uh, like it was throughout the press conference on Monday. For example, I mean, you've got him being asked a question about, you know, you mentioned South Carolina being an attractive option because of its proximity to your family. Let's say another job in the Carolinas comes up, uh, NC State or UNC. Like, would, would you have to listen to it for that same reason? And he basically was like, yeah, <laughs> like, like, of course I'd look at that other job. And then in the next breath was like, I'm fully committed to Louisville. Like, like we're only focused on what we're doing here. And then he'd be like, yeah, like I, I would listen to any job. And it was just kind of, it, he clearly w- could not stay on message. It was a really simple layout for him to win that press conference, which was be apologetic seem genuine in that apology and kind of say you're, you're moving on. And he couldn't do that. And then, and then, you know, Mark Ennis asked him straight up, did you, like, did you let Vince Tyree know that you were going to be talking with South Carolina on Friday, which is something that Scott Satterfield said in his interview with Cameron Teague. He said, you know, I've been keeping Vince updated every step of the way. He's been supportive and all this stuff. And I, I, I mean, it sounds like behind the scenes that Vince Tyree absolutely did not know that this was happening on Friday and was not thrilled about it. And when he was asked about it directly, Satterfield basically wouldn't answer. So that just kind of goes to show. It was just a, it, it did nothing to, to make the fans feel better about anything. And I think that's why you saw, like you said, we're going to talk about it, the kind of concerted effort to see all the players and all the former coaches and all the former players tweet out their statements of support to try and, and, and get this momentum back on his side. But it was, man, it was, it was disappointing because this is supposed to be a large part of Scott Satterfield's appeal, right? When he was hired here, it was kind of, it was never put this 
like, like specifically, but he was kind of hired as the anti-Petrino. You had this guy who was a lying asshole and who you knew who you were getting into. He's a great football coach, but not a great person. But now we're going to bring in this, this young guy, X's and O's guy from a humble background, never had power five football experience, but he's going to be genuine. He's going to love these guys up. He's going to hug them. Like that, all that stuff. Like that was what Scott Satterfield was billed at, billed as. And now just two years into this, this new era, to have to be dealing with the same old shit that it feels like we're dealing with every other December for the, the past three decades. Like, it's understandable that Louisville fans are going to be more jaded than the average fan base would be by all this. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, I mean, it's so weird with, with college football coaches. Um, to me, just having that press conference yesterday, no, I think no matter what he said, nothing was probably going to come out of it that that was going to be well received by the fans because, you know, just by having that conversation, the damage was kind of already done. And I don't know what he could have said. I mean, yeah, he could have been apologetic, but we still would have known what his actions were. Um, and it's a, sl- I mean, being a college football coach is is a slippery slope because, I mean, yes, people are trying to advance their careers. And they get asked the questions and, you know, <laughs> how you handle that questions, I feel like, uh, is how a lot of the fan base judges you. And I don't know. I, I mean, maybe there is like a perfect answer out there. I don't know the exact right answer to that. And uh, from my point of view, I'm like, OK, am I looking for a football coach that handles the media the right way and says all the right things, um, you know, or am I am I more worried about a coach that is going to put a winning product on the field? Um, he's yes, not doing it right tore, now. <laughs> hold on, what'd you say? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And like he's not right, now, right now, he's not doing either. And I'm I'm much more worried about the fact that um, our rebuild, I guess, is sort of stalled here in, in year two versus you know what he's fumbling over and his responses to the media. Um, but I don't know. At this point, what option are, are we left with? You know, as a fan base, are we just going to completely turn on this guy? Because if we do that, it's almost like we're 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 turning on the players. We're we're turning on the university as well. Um, like I said, it rubbed me the wrong way how this how he's handled this. He said he was going to change it in the future, and I don't think I really have a choice. But you know, just because I'm a fan of the university, I'm a fan of the football program. I'm still going to support him. I'm going to support the players. And if if they buy into this guy, then um, as long as they do, then uh, you know I'm going to do the same as well. Having gone through this a hundred times, I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. Like these emotions are still going to be there for every Louisville fan. They're going to get buried a little bit in the months to come as we get into the off season and and signing day and and spring football and all that stuff. But whatever happens next year, there's going to be an extreme reaction from the fans based on wins and losses. If he, I think Louisville opens the season next year against Ole Miss in that uh, one of those kickoff classic games. If he loses that game, I mean, everybody's going to be like, take another South Carolina interview or, or whatever. Like, it's just going to be like, get this guy out of here. We didn't like him anyway. If they win big early on, all's going to be forgiven. And we know that because we've seen this shit a billion times before. It's it's amazing how similar the past month has been to the, the the original Bobby Petrino jet gate back in 2003 and I know Eric Crawford he unearthed the the articles from the Courier Journal back in the day but I mean the timeline is almost exactly the same 
where there's that initial buzz of speculation that you know Auburn's tack- targeting Petrino and maybe something could come out of this, and Bobby's like, guys, 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 it's 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 me, it's Bobby, it, it's my this is my first big opportunity here. I would never bounce after just one season. Don't worry about it. And then bam, reports come that he's having secret meetings down at Auburn without the AD's knowledge, without Tom Jurich's knowledge. Basically, the same exact thing happens here. And I remember how upset fans were back in 2003. I have a vivid memory of going to a uh, Louisville basketball game. I think it was actually on New Year's Eve. I think we played early that day. And somebody sitting a couple rows in front of me had this sign that said, you know, goodbye 2003 or hello 2004, goodbye Petrino. Like that's how upset fans were. And they didn't really let it go until that 2004 team started kicking everybody's ass. And then it was like, okay, this guy's worth it. And then he went and talked to LSU again that next year, and that started the whole cycle. But I think with Scott Satterfield, you would hope that he's not going he's going to learn his lesson from all this, and there's not going to be those constant flirtations that we saw with, with Bobby Petrino. But we know from the Petrino thing, we know from when Charlie Strong had that flirtation with Tennessee, we know from you know when uh, you know other coaches were being talked about with other gigs that Louisville fans will forgive if you win. And I think that's not just unique to Louisville fans. It's every fan base. If, if Scott Satterfield goes out there next year and has the type of season in 2021 that we thought he might have in 2020, this is going to be a distant memory. And we'll go back to, to loving the guy up and buying the visors and, and sharing the gifts of him dancing in the locker room and all that, that, that shit. Like, it's just it, – ultimately, it's all about the wins and the losses, and that's the way college football is. To use the line that my dad used back, because my dad was one of those guys that wanted to be a, a true believer. He grew up with uh, Louisville basketball and Denny Crum being here forever. He wanted a football coach that would stay here forever and do all the right things. And when Charlie Strong left, it really, it really left him jaded. And so when we hired Petrino back in 2014, the, the text that my dad said that I'll always remember, he said, well, if they're all lying assholes, you might as well hire the lyingest asshole of them all. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, sure. You, you want to win. Like, that's what it comes down to. And I think that's where we are. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the, the, the player tweets from last night. Again, we're recording this Tuesday morning. So if you haven't seen it, I, I put a quick post on Card Chronicle about it. Basically, every Louisville player, current Louisville player, or at least most of them, put out some tweet on Monday night after the press conference came out and, you know, these stories have been written and, and he was, Scott Satterfield was receiving a lot of criticism. They all put out tweets saying, Pretty much the same thing. Like, Scott Satterfield's had my back. We love Coach Sat. All we care about is this team. And a lot of them had references to not believing the media. Like, like, don't worry about the media. Don't worry about outsiders. We know the truth. We're all in this together. And I'm with you in that I like that the team is, is unified. As somebody who wants U of football to be successful and is thinking big picture now because this season's already been a disaster – this is a good thing for the future of the global football program. I don't care for the message. I think it's a little bit off-putting. Nobody made Scott Satterfield talk to South Carolina. Nobody made him hide the fact that he was talking to South Carolina. Nobody made him throw Javion Hawkins under the bus. Nobody made him say the things that he said on Monday. This is nobody's fault but your own head coach. And that's kind of where I am with it. Like I, I, Again, like I'm, I'm glad they're doing this. I'm, I'm glad that they're all together. I don't want disarray and and just mass mutiny within the Louisville football program right now because Satterfield's going to be your head coach. You need them to be unified going into this offseason. But let's not shift the blame. Let's not play that game. This sounds so shitty to even ask, but do you think, and I'm not saying it was from Satterfield, or I'm not saying it was from Vince Tyree, or I don't know who, but 
do you think any anyone maybe voice to the players that it would be beneficial to voice their support over social media for Scott Satterfield because it was just unique or that every single person did it and I'm maybe it's I hope it's genuine and I I lean that way it's genuine but um the fact that everyone did it it was like okay uh you know I, we kind of got the message loud and clear that he, the locker room still has his back um, it was it, it was 1000% a concerted effort. Like there was, it was an organized effort. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, it, but it did make it feel a little bit less genuine. Like everybody's tweets got sent out at the same time. They all said more or less the same thing. They all had the same message. And I don't know if you saw this, but you know, Jalen Smith, the former Louisville wide receiver who was here, uh, graduated a couple of years ago. He kind of put out there like, hmm, very interesting that all these messages are coming out at the same time and they're all saying the same thing. And Makai Becton, who have it on pretty high authority, did not like the way that the staff reacted to him saying uh, he wasn't going to play in the bowl game last year. He was going to opt out before opting out was even a term. Uh, he put out there a tweet, too, kind of laughing at that fact and, and, and not taking it seriously. But besides those couple of tweets and, and a few other former players that kind of were rolling their eyes at the whole thing, it was a pretty – it was a unified, positive effort. But, no, to answer your question, like I, I think this was – just all these players doing this independently. There was definitely some organization there. I mean, at this point, if he does stay, if he's not going to jump ship in the offseason, I mean, really, it's just going to be a, a, a show-me thing. You know, show us you're committed to the program. Show us that you can actually recruit. Show us that this year was, you know, a, a one-off from what you're actually trying to accomplish here. Um, and, I mean, I don't, it's just frustrating. I mean, I, I really wish that one coach would just full, I mean, I get it. You know, there are bigger programs out there. Um, I, I, I totally get that. There's more money out there. I totally get that. But man, if, if one coach would just fully buy in and, and not snoop around and, and look other places and really, you know, would build this program up. God, I mean, the, the the love that this city would give that coach is just unreal. I mean, it, it really is a special place if you if you just let it be. Um, but you know, if you go around doing this, we can certainly make it tough on you um, for sure. I, so it's, I, I was just, little for a coach who's open and honest about this whole thing, who says, "I'm going to take every call. I'm going to listen." This is what John Calipari does at Kentucky, and I think it works really well for him, where he says. You know, every time a story breaks about Calipari had a talk with UCLA or Calipari had a talk with the Nets or, or whatever, he always goes back to, I was told at a very young age, never turn down a meeting. So when anybody reaches out, I always talk to them. But I'm fully committed to UK and all this stuff. Like, that's the smartest way to handle this. The, the dumbest way to handle this is to do it in secret and think that it's not going to, to leak out because everything leaks out at this in, in this age. So I would, well, I'd love to have somebody who's fully committed here for the long term. At this point, I would settle for somebody saying, yeah, like, I can't guarantee anything. I, I, I can't guarantee that I won't move for – like, Tom Jurich used to say that back, back in the day. He, he, Whenever anybody asked, if, are you going to be at Louisville for life, he would say, I love it here. Right now I can't see myself going anywhere else, but I'll never say never. I would settle for somebody being that honest about everything. Yeah, I mean, even if you're, you're just saying that and you don't mean it, just lie to me. Like, yeah. for the love of God, just make me think that you love it here so I can feel good about myself when I watch you on TV and go to the games and think that everything's, you know, uh, uh, hunk, all hunky-dory. But, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it'll be 
interesting. I mean, Saturday, uh, you know, I, I think no matter what happens, I'm not, I'm not going to really judge. Um, you know, if we win, I'm not going to be like, oh, they won one for the Gipper. They love their coach. <laughs> like, I'm totally not going to do that. I, I think for me, it's more about, hey, you know, is, are, are people transferring out after the season? Is the coaching staff leaving? Is the recruiting class falling apart? Um, that's when I'm going to, uh, kind of base on like, okay, you know, maybe he's genuine as far as, you know, staying here and, and wanting to build the program or maybe everyone's seeing, you know, that he's kind of full of shit and not buying into it. Imagine if they beat a four and three Wake Forest team, like 13 to 10 and then carried Satterfield off. I've, I've had that image in my head. Like, don't do it, guys. I know nobody listens to this, but if they do, please, God, don't do that. Like, the fans, are, there's like seven fans there, and they're all just, like, laughing and leaving. It, it it's like, just... And they're handing out visors to every player on the team <laughs> to show their love and admiration for Scott Satterfield and his commitment to the program. Oh, God. Satterfield, like, takes the mic at midfield. We're like, oh, God. Um, yeah, can I tell you what I think is happening here? And this is this, this is what we do on the podcast. This is what the podcast is for, for some speculation. My guess, because I haven't talked to a coach about this. I haven't talked to anybody within the program about this. But here's what I guess with the message. Because Satterfield obviously talked to the team yesterday. They all put out those statements last night. The players said, you know, we trust this guy. We believe in what's happening. My guess is that Satterfield is telling the players, yeah, I talked to South Carolina because – I wanted the news to get out. I wanted to have everybody talking about, look, this guy is turning down an SEC job to stay at Louisville. Like I, I think he's spinning it as I'm improving the program stature by by doing this. Like we recruit a lot in that area. We offered a couple of kids from South Carolina just today. And what better way to show that we have a leg up on our competition than by saying I'm choosing you guys over them. And I think that that's the way he's spinning it. Do I believe that that's what happened here? I don't. A lot of people have asked me, do you think that he genuinely wanted the South Carolina job? I do. Um, and I think if the offer had been right or if there had been an offer made, that we wouldn't be here talking about you know Scott Satterfield at Louisville anymore. Um, but I think that that's probably what he's telling his team right now. And I think that's why you've seen the reaction be the way it has been from those actual players. But again, who knows? Yeah. But I'm at the end of the day – I want Louisville football to win. I want them to win big. And while I'm upset about what's happened the last three or four weeks, I'm still I'm rooting for the guy. I'm hoping he can rectify this, and I'm hoping that we're going to win on Saturday and then have a great offseason. Yeah, I mean, again, I just I get a temperature on on Twitter, which is not nearly a representation of what the fan base is. If you look on Twitter, it almost seems like it's. 50 50 that you know fans have their have this guy's back and and some fans want him gone so uh, i'm i'm definitely with you i'm i'm more about the program about the players and you know whether the message is real or fake if it seems like they're on board then i'm totally on board and i uh i, I want him to win saturday and i want him to carry the momentum into the off season. yeah fuck wake forest tim duncan walked and he fought out um orange bowl forever God, uh, well, yes, that's right. 
We're going to move on. We're going to talk a little bit of basketball and answer some questions. But before we do, reminding you guys, as we do on every podcast episode, that we are sponsored by Homefield Apparel. If you're still looking for Christmas gifts for a Cards fan in your life that wants a really cool shirt or a really cool hoodie with the old school Duncan Cardlebird logo on it, or if you're a Scott Satterfield believer and you want a Saturday's T-shirt, Homefield Apparel has you covered. But here's the deal. If you want your orders to arrive in time for Christmas, you have to get them submitted by December 10th. We're recording this on Tuesday. That's Thursday. Get those orders in by Thursday. You can still use the promo code Card Chronicle, all one word, to save 20% at checkout, but you've got to get that done by Thursday if you want it to arrive in time for Christmas. Homefieldapparel.com is the website. Homefield Apparel, without an E, is their Twitter account, and then Homefield Apparel is also their account on Instagram. You can check out all the designs they have for all the schools, including Louisville. I think they've got 12 Louisville shirts now. They've got a, uh, three Louisville sweatshirts, a couple of hoodies, uh, a tank top, all the stuff you could ever imagine for a Christmas gift for the Cardinal fan in your life. But again, get those orders in by Thursday and use that promo code Card Chronicle, all one word, to save 20% at checkout. Shout out to Homefield Apparel and homefieldapparel.com. Uh, Dan, do you want to talk a little hoops? Yeah, I'm, I'm dying too. There's not a whole lot to talk about, though. Uh, that, this is true. <laughs> I mean, the NC. I love that we all started yesterday thinking that this NCAA response to the response was going to be the big topic of the day, and this is all anybody's going to be talking about. And oh my God, is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? And it turns out the NCAA like looked at all of our arguments and was like, nope. And that was it. Like, that, like we're right back to where we were. Um, I don't think anything's going to change. I do think Louisville's going to wind up going the uh, IARP route to have its case heard because it sounds like the NCAA. And again, it's important to note the Committee on Infractions is different from the NCAA that we're dealing with now, which is basically serving as a prosecutorial branch. Like they're going to argue their case. They're not going to admit facts that they don't want to admit. And so like it wasn't a big surprise to see that yesterday's uh, note was a big nothing burger. The one kind of interesting thing about it, and then we'll move on, was the language that the NCAA used. If you remember, their response to Louisville's response back with the Katina Powell thing was, it, it was almost condescending. Like, Louisville made all these arguments saying, this was the dollar amount involved in the Fab Mello case with Syracuse. This was the dollar amount involved in the, uh, the, the other cases that you guys have ruled upon. This was the dollar amount involved in our thing. Like, it wasn't that much money involved if we're talking about a rules violations. And the NCAA was like, why the fuck are you talking about money? We're talking about hookers. We're talking about strippers. We're talking about recruits and sex and all this stuff. Like, this is, and to use the word they use so many times, repugnant. And when you first saw that word pop up, that was when I knew we were fucked. Because they were basically saying, I don't care what our rules are. I don't care what precedent is here. This is new territory. This is gross. We can't let this stand. We're going to punish you harshly regardless of, of what our own bylaws are and regardless of the fact that this isn't covered anywhere, and that's that. The language this go-around was was way more professional. They didn't get off script. They kind of just stuck to their guns. It was very straightforward. The one exception was when they responded to Rick Bettino's response where they were like, the coach used 10 pages of his 31-page response to like rip the general framework of the NCAA. But the fact of the matter is he made no case to show that he did not uh, uh, you know, provide a uh, atmosphere of compliance or anything along those lines. Like that was that was the one time where they kind of got a little bit lacks in their language so that they, I think would portend bad things for Rick Pitino but that's really like the whole NCAA deal the only other noteworthy thing is that by going the IARP route 
I think this is going to be a longer deal, which I know nobody wants to hear right now. But Louisville is fifth in line when it comes to schools that have chosen to go this route. NC State submitted its request back in May. They haven't heard anything back. So we've got no idea what the timeline is for this whole deal. Um, we could be still talking about this in, in 2022, which, positive note, maybe we're not affected by the tournament. Uh, we know it's, this isn't going to affect the tournament this year. Maybe we're good to go for the 2022 NCAA tournament as well. But just did you have any take on the NCAA stuff from yesterday? So, I mean, you know me. Uh, like, you don't like high me. school. Yeah, whether it's it's high school or college, um, uh, there there would be some class or some tests where I would walk out of there and I'd be like, oh my god, I just failed that so mother effing <laughs> bad. It's not even funny. Like I hope I got like a twenty or thirty percent on this, and it just hung over you. Like you're like. God, like you'd go out on Thursday night, you'd be like, "Oh man, this is awesome! Like I'm having a great time." And then back of your mind, you'd be like, "God damn it, I'm gonna get that test back tomorrow. It's gonna be like the worst day ever." And then like you'd show up, and like your teacher would have like called out sick, or you'd have like a substitute teacher. I'd be like, "Hey, all right, I got another week. Gonna have fun." And then like every time you're having fun, like you're still in the back of your mind, like. God damn it! Whenever I get this test back, my life is completely over. Like that's what I feel like. Like as much as like I'm like, all right, time to enjoy this season. Or like, hey, we got like tournament bands not going to be this season. Like at some point, the hammer is going to come down and it's going to suck. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm totally just you know quit denying it. I think we're going to get hit pretty hard, and um, that's kind of what I compare it to. It's just something that just lingers over you, and I'm I'm trying to block it out as best I can. Um, especially with, you know, how the teams look so far this year. Um, but it sucks that this is just going to, you know, kind of hang over us. No, I, I think it's, it's a good analogy because as someone who also knew that bad test scores were coming <laughs> at very, in their educational history, like it, it, you're right. Uh, you can try to block it out. You can try to enjoy the present, but it's always going to be there in some form in the back of your mind, some days larger than others. And, and we all know it's coming, but the best you can do is just try not to think about it right now. But it'd be easier if they were actually playing basketball. Unfortunately, we're not talking about Louisville getting ready for this Wisconsin game on Wednesday night, which would have been um, probably their toughest test of the season so far, because the team is dealing with COVID issues. And the Wisconsin game has now been postponed. They're still trying to make it work. We don't know when that's going to happen. We know that Friday's game against UNC was canceled. And look, we like to treat podcast listeners. This is a reward. This is where you get stuff that you don't get anywhere else. This is where you get some inside scoop every now and then. So let's tell the story of what went down as far as the, the Louisville bubble, which, by the way, Wade Houston tip-off classic champions. Let's put that out there. 2020. They'll never take we it We run away. the Wade. We run the Wade. We run the Wade. Who runs the Wade? The cards do. Uh, Carly Jones does. Wade Houston tip-off classic MVP, which is not us just saying shit. They actually gave an official – uh, MVP award and had an all-tournament team, which I thought was I mean, was imagine putting that on your resume. That's like an easy interview to Fortune 500. I mean, I would love for Carly to get drafted and for them to be on ESPN, like, among his uh, his accolades. He's like, uh, you know, second-leading scorer in the ACC, former Big South uh, MVP, Wade Houston tip-off classic MVP. Like, just throw that out there. Maybe that I heard do- that. I heard that that's going to be a lyric in Jack Harlow's new album that drops this week. <laughs> Oh God! Um, <clears throat> but so here, here's what happened. This is my understanding of what broke down the Louisville bubble. 
And it all goes back. We, we have a new villain in the world of global sports. And my friends, that villain is the Prairie View A&M Panthers. So apparently, I, I guess two nights before they were set to play that game against Louisville in the opening week, multiple members of the Prairie View team snuck out of the Gold House Hotel where they'd been, you know, they were supposed to be in quarantine. They were supposed to be bubbling. They were supposed to not be doing anything to make sure that this event ran smoothly. Those players snuck out. Can't tell you exactly where they went. They went and did some social stuff. They came back. The next day, multiple players on the team, including several who went out, started feeling bad, started showing some symptoms. The day after that, they play, the day after that, their players test positive and they have to leave Louisville and not play the rest of their Wade Houston games. The day after that, Jalen Withers does not feel well. And that's when we found out that the COVID test had happened and that there had been at least one positive on the team. And blame Prairie View, basically, is what I'm saying, for us not being able to play UNCG and for the Winthrop game to get canceled uh, against Duquesne on Friday and for all that stuff to happen. The Prairie View players fucked us, and I blame them for everything that we're dealing with right now. Here's the deal. I'm, I'm out of the game. I'm out of the bar scene. I'm out of the club scene. What is happening in Louisville like that? is worthy enough to go out to the bars or, or, or whatever. I, I, I doubt it was a club. I don't even know what club besides maybe PTs um, would, would <laughs> exist uh, at a time like right now. But, yeah, I mean, they totally fucked us. I don't know what else to say. I mean, that absolutely sucks. I was bored to the Wisconsin game. And the thing that really sucks is – uh, it seemed like I like when we play a lot of games in a row. I think that's good for a team. I think it not only boosts their confidence, it just seems like they get in a better rhythm. And now, you know, having been stalled for however long this has been, it, who knows what we're going to come out looking like next time we play. I mean, a, a long layoff tends to hurt teams sometimes. So uh, to me, that's the biggest detriment. You know, I hope they make up the Wisconsin game. It sounds like maybe that's being talked about. You probably have more knowledge than me on that, but um, I don't know. I'm just anxious for them to get back on the court. And yeah, I mean, Prairie View, you really did us dirty on that. I mean, on one hand, you would have loved to have kept the momentum going from the Western Kentucky game because that was clearly the best performance they've given this year. And you've got some guys. I mean, Dre Davis was so good in that game, and JJ Trainer's hitting a rhythm, and you're getting some. David Johnson finally played a really good half. You wanted to keep that going on the other this is more time for the injured guys to get back you could hopefully have sam williamson back at maybe full strength or close to it the next time you take the court um but the, the thing that really sucks about it is and again my, i know i mentioned withers but my understanding is that the guys who have been who have tested positive or who have been having symptoms or who have had the contact tracing are key guys like carly jones apparently not feeling well this week like this is so you've had some guys who haven't been able to to, to practice and who haven't been able to maintain that momentum. And so it's not like you're even getting this normal, like, two weeks off, time to practice, time to get healthy. Like, none of that's happening because they're not able to do anything right now. So I I would hate to think that whenever we get back on the court, we're going to look – but that's – it's just the way it's going to be this season. This is not a problem that's unique to Louisville. It's this way across the country. Teams are going to have to pause and have games canceled and have games postponed everywhere. It's just going to be a disjointed year with very little rhythm – and right now we're feeling the effects of that. And again, there's only one person or team or entity to blame, and that's the the fucking Purview and M Panthers. Here's the deal, I, and I know they're not, but Chris Mack, Kenny Klein, if you guys are listening, send me an address. I'll, I my wife makes a great homemade chicken noodle soup. 
we will send it to the players, try to get them healthy. Uh, it, it's always a remedy for when I'm sick. I, I just, whatever we can do, whether it's Carleek or Jalen, I, I want these guys to be healthy, especially coming up. I mean, we know what we got on the schedule in about 15, 16 days. I want everyone to be at full strength. So, you know, if it's chicken noodle soup, if it's, you know, a, a, a kit of Tylenol or whatever, I'll send it. I'll, I'll walk it there. I don't care. Can we just get Pfizer to inject that vaccine into the soup? Just, just, just put it in. You don't have to tell anybody. Let's just a couple droplets. Care. It's fine. Yeah, it's just like salt and pepper. We got to get this game played on the 26th. Speaking of which, are we re- <laughs> are we ready to have a discussion about what's going on down the road in Lexington? Because the minute that this uh, the, that Sunday's game between Kentucky and the mighty Josh Pastners of Georgia Tech was was looking rough in the second half. I got flooded with people saying, I know what you said on the last podcast. You said if this game was even close, you're in stage three of the uh, the, the stages of Louisville fans following Kentucky basketball. Uh, are you there right now? And I had to, before the game was even over, I had to go ahead and confirm, I have fully transitioned from stage two to stage three. This is a It's a record few games for Kentucky for me to make this transition. Usually it takes just a little bit more. But when you <clears throat> are playing a Georgia Tech team, that's coached by the Prince of March. He's not the Prince of December, folks. He's the Prince of March. That's when Pastor does his work. When you're playing the Prince of March and you're getting your ass handed to you after they had just lost, Georgia Tech had just lost to Georgia State and to Mercer, what choice do I have? Again, I, I have no control over this. My body is in free fall. I'm flailing in the wind. My mind is telling me immediately Louisville is going to beat Kentucky on December 26th because from what I've seen from both teams over the past two weeks – there is nothing to indicate that that should not happen outside of historical precedent, but that's where I am. I, I'm fully in stage three. We're going to win the game on the 26th. I, everything tells me I shouldn't believe this. Everything tells me I should have restraint, but I can't help it, Dan. We are no, a better I, basketball team than they are. First off, a couple things about this. One, that tweet of yours about the stages is your holy grail of tweets. It's the most accurate thing that I think every single person in the state that can re- can relate to it's it's truly just the most accurate thing I've ever seen because it happens every single year. Um, as far as the game goes, imagine being a Kentucky fan. Um, you're probably already down on your team um, going into the game, and then having that result come, and not only that, you look over the other sideline and you have to <laughs> look at the mask that Josh <laughs> Passner is wearing. I mean, as mad as I would be, I'd be like, God damn it, I can't believe this shit. Like, I mean, it is the most just hideous, ugly looking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It looks like uh, it should have its own windshield wipers. Um, I used to but, think that I was pretty good at, you know, we've we played ping pong before. I used to think that I was pretty good at ping pong. I once faced like a ping pong prodigy at a, a restaurant <laughs> who was eight years old. Or he couldn't have been more than eight and like could barely see over the table and had glasses, and looked like the biggest nerd in the world, and I think he beat me like 21 to 12. That's the, I have to imagine that that's how Kentucky fans felt on Sunday. You know, you know, like when players, uh, like break their nose and they wear like a mask, and like some players like end up playing really good in the mask, and they for some, like Richard Hamilton kept it on like the rest of his career. <laughs> what if Pastner like wore that, like when he, he's like still on the sidelines when he's like 70 and he's still wearing that mask? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's all I can think about. But I, would give I, I don't know. Like, it, first off, 
I mean, I'll give as much as Kentucky's look like shit. I'll give Georgia Tech credit. They looked up. I mean, they couldn't miss. They looked really good. I thought um, Moses Wright was amazing. Uh, it, it just seemed like every shot they were taking, they were knocking in. But yeah, I mean, if, if there's a year you want to get Kentucky, and I, I, you know, I hate even talking about it because I'm like, God damn it, we're already putting pressure on these kids. I know. I know. Um, but. It seems like they're they're there for the taking this year, but um, we'll we'll wait and see, I guess. That's the thing about Georgia Tech, though, is there's zero excuse for them to be 0-2 going into that game. They've got good players. We saw that firsthand. They beat us last year, and it wasn't a fluke. Moses Wright is a legitimately good big man. He's, he's one of the better big men in the ACC. Jose Alvarado is a good point guard who's been there for what feels like 35 years. He, he's a solid, solid point guard. Michael DeVoe is maybe the best shooter in the entire conference. They've got like, – there's no excuse for that team to be in the bottom half of the ACC this year, let alone losing to Mercer and Georgia State to start their season. But it made it so much better. I'm so glad they did, one, because I love making fun of Josh Pastner, two, because it made the loss to – it made Kentucky's loss on Sunday 50 times more embarrassing. And I'm with you. Like I want this to become a thing. There, there's now a part of me that wants Georgia Tech to be like – a two seed in the NCAA tournament this year to have this dream season just so Josh Pastner has to keep wearing that stupid <laughs> face shield. I want like an aging Josh Pastner in 2062 to be like coaching on the sidelines with the, the the face shield still on. They're like, it's like dragging his head down because he can't hold the weight anymore, but he has to do it because it's become his thing. That's uh, that, that's brilliant. He just he just takes it off during timeouts. Like Richard Hamilton takes his off during free throws. He like takes it off during a timeout, and then as soon as the game starts, he like buckles it back on. The face shield throw becomes the new Jim Beheim coat throw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, folks, the face shield's going into the crowd. Georgia Tech fans love when this happens. He like gets another one from the scores table right afterward, and some lucky fan goes home with the shield. Ah, oh, Josh, if you're listening to the pod, first of all, come on. Second of all. Make this happen, dude. I, get, I first off, I guarantee that chap Calipari's ass losing to him like way more than it probably let on. Um, he's the first assistant. Know. He's the first former Calipari <laughs> assistant to ever beat him. It's Josh Pastner with an zero and two team <laughs> wearing a face shield. He's the first time he's ever lost to an assistant. If we could, if we could pick one Kentucky player who is maybe struggling, or I don't even want to say struggling, like, who do you, what, out of every player, who do you think is going to break out by the time they play against us? Uh, the, the obvious answer, and the one that everybody's going to, is Devin Askew, because, I mean, I, he was almost committed here, he was probably going to go here, and he has looked like, uh, I mean, he's looked like a sixth grader trying to play varsity high school basketball, he he looks like he should be in high school, he has been unplayable. He's, for he's looked so bad that I honestly... Like, my jaw would hit the floor if it's him. Like, I think he's going to yeah. lose a significant amount of playing time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like, I still think Boston can be really good. He's, I mean, you can just tell he has freaky athleticism, but his shot has just looked terrible so far. But um, if there's one guy that I think can maybe get hot and, and start to turn it on offensively, at least, I think it would be him. I mean, he's good though. Like, he should be their best player. I, right. I, yeah. I think the guy that you point to is always the guy who's supposed to be like the third or fourth best player, and who's really struggling. Like two years ago, it was the most obvious prediction in the world that Tyler Hero was going to light us up, and Tyler Hero wound up lighting us up after shooting like one of twenty-three from three. 
going into the game or whatever he was. So I feel like Devin Askew is the logical choice. Even his, even he's been, you're right, he's been so bad that it's almost impossible to, to foresee him being good in that game on the 26th because it's not that far away. And also, like, this is this is making me more pissed that Kentucky fought to have the game not played on December 12th because I know we're dealing with COVID stuff right now, but let's say that we're able to play that game in four days. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that we win that game on, on the 12th if, if we're playing then. But because it's the 26th, who knows? Uh, we see crazy stuff happen every single year. But this is the year, Dan. I'm fully stage three. We're going to win. Like, we're, we're, There's no reason why we should lose this game. We're better than they are. Yeah, uh, no, I, I totally agree with you. But I don't know. I, with this team and and it, the lack of depth right now that they have, I, I'm, I'm never going to put down like, hey, you know, this is an automatic win, no matter who they're playing. And I'm especially not going to do it against a team. And I know every year they're different, but I'm especially not going to do it at a team that we're, you know, two and whatever we are, 13, 14, the last 16 games. So, um, but I, I am, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game because I feel like going into it, our fans and our players are, are going to be feeling good versus how Kentucky's probably going to be feeling going into it. Here we go again. I know. <laughs> We're just setting ourselves up. God damn it. We are. We, you know, we, we don't learn, but that's okay. Uh, we also would be remiss and totally off-brand if we didn't at least mention the fact that in the middle of all this stuff going on, in, in the middle of Scott Satterfield madness, in the middle of COVID madness for Louisville, the women's team blasting DePaul and making a girl cry before the fourth quarter even started, um, Josh Passner beating Kentucky, the biggest event of the week is without question Slater playing Colonel Sanders in a lifetime mini movie. <laughs> Can we talk about the image that came out yesterday, which was Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders? I mean, this is the evidence that none of this is real and we're all living in a simulation continues to mount every single day. And this may be the biggest piece so far. We've got Colonel Sanders played by Mario Lopez in a 15 minute lifetime movie. That's a legitimate thing that's coming out this month. I mean, imagine like, the drugs this casting director is on right now. It's like, who, who could we get to play a white haired old man, Colonel Sanders? It's like, Oh, actually let me throw in this guy's tapes from 1991 when he used to sit in a chair backwards. I think this guy would be perfect. I um, always think about when I'm, when I'm listening to like my daughter's, the, the stupid songs that come on, like the, the kids TV show theme songs. And you've, you know, somebody's just belting out these lyrics. I always think about that person in the recording room who had the dreams of being like the next Prince or the, the next Michael Jackson. Like, I'm going to be a, a music superstar. And now they're busting out the words to like the Gummy Bears theme song, like, like just having to do that. I, I, I'm sure this was the same way. Like this person who directed this Lifetime Colonel Sanders movie probably had, you know, grew up worshiping Martin Scorsese or something like that and thought they were going to make really deep really moving, change-the-world type cinema. And now they're doing Colonel Sanders, Mario Lopez, saying <laughs> his secret recipe is lust or, or whatever it is, like having to be like, Mario, put your arms around her like this. No, your, your mustache is a little bit off. Please please fix the Colonel mustache. Like that poor bastard probably is just reevaluating their entire, like every life choice they have. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining – Mario Lopez's agent, like maybe Mario's in like a money crunch right now, and we just don't know it. It's like, okay, Mario, uh, here's here's the options we got. It's like you can you can go on the Disney Channel and, and play like so and so's dad. It's like, 
this one's actually interesting over here. Colonel Sanders. He's like, <laughs> let me try on the outfit. He like looks himself in the mirror. He's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and take this one. I was in the seat. I'll take the Nashville hot chicken heat. <laughs> By the way, your senior quote, your your legitimate senior quote was uh, from right when we graduated high school was, I was in the seat. I'll take the heat. AC Slater. Yeah. God. It's like, and look how far he's come about as far as me. <laughs> Oh, all right. I know we're running a little bit long here, but do you want to take some of the questions from Twitter? Yeah, let's go. All right. Um, up first, let me pull it up. It's just people responding to my uh, podcast appearance with Jeff Greer and being upset about it. Um, I listened to it. It was good. I, I, I enjoyed the podcast thoroughly. I thought uh, you guys covered covered the topics thoroughly. I, I love Jeff Greer's use of um, what was, I think at one point he said, uh, like a filled diaper or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I got a giggle out of it, but um, yeah. no, you guys did a good job. Uh, let's see here. Nathan Snyder says, here's my U of L UK prediction. UK gets a COVID positive a few days before the 26th, which cancels the game. Both teams agree that they're too busy in conference season to reschedule. What are your thoughts? That thought has crossed my mind probably 7,000 times over the past week. Like that, that COVID's going to somehow ruin this game and that John Calipari is not going to play it. I, I mean, we have to at least acknowledge that this is a legitimate possibility. Here's the deal. If that happens, it's a win. We, we won. I'm just going to put it down as a win for us. <laughs> like there's a, I will in my mind be like, Oh yeah. Well, so we won in 2020. So, uh, I mean, that's the only excuse. If that happens, there's no doubt in my mind. It's on purpose. But in all seriousness, if that does happen, I would be very, very upset just because, like we talked about earlier, it seems like this year, um, if any, they're they're kind of ripe for the picking right now. You have prefaced, I think, seven statements with here's the deal on this podcast already. Okay, so. God. I know. I I, I got to work on my – I need a wordsmith in here. I, I need new words to use. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Alex says, uh, how do or did you feel about DePaul Day being back for this year's women's basketball? I don't know if you caught any of the game on Friday. Like, I needed a a good feel-good thing on Friday night with the, the men's game being canceled and then when I was starting to hear the Scott Satterfield stuff. And watching Louisville, the Louisville women who are just – they're fun as hell. Even if you aren't – if women's basketball isn't your thing, I mean, they've got one of the best players in the country in Dana Evans. Haley Van Lith is, is one of the most exciting – yeah, freshman in the entire country, one of the most exciting players to come to the program. She's got like a billion Instagram followers. And they beat DePaul by what, like 55 or whatever it was, a 25 DePaul team and scored a school record 117 points. And I put the image up of the the, the, the DePaul player who was crying at the start of the fourth quarter. And I, I would have felt bad for it, but she'd just gotten teed up and kicked out of the game for talking shit down 50. So that was what, that pushed me over the edge to use it. So yeah, I enjoyed DePaul Day being back. I, I missed DePaul do you, Day. Do you think Do you think you're in DePaul's head? Like the way that you've talked about them, like everyone at the university is like, man, that, I mean Rutherford has just got us absolutely rattled right now. Like every time we play them, we just absolutely shit the bed, no matter what sport it is. I am blocked by the DePaul Athletic account on Twitter, so there you go. They're at least somewhat aware of it. it says we just talked about this, but. Will you be checking out a recipe for seduction on Lifetime? Yes, I'd forgotten that that was the actual title, but I mean, I, I mean, this is the world. Like, like, this is an actual thing that's happening. A Colonel Sanders Mario Lopez movie titled "A Recipe for Seduction." I mean, that you pretty much said it all right there. I don't know. Twenty twenty, 
weird shit, man. I do love this question from David Purcell. What's the most number of trays you ever had to take up at lunch at Trinity? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I mean, I mean, you sat at my table and we used to have, we used to play paper, rock, scissors, to see who took the trays up. And those games got pretty intense uh, to the point where, uh, me and our, our mutual friend Andrew Weber kept it. You kept a literal tally um, from day one of school to the end of school uh, of who you know scored the most paper rock scissors victory. And um, I'm here to brag that I was that person. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I always enjoyed when people would drop the trays. Though. That was great. That was wonderful. But we had a lot of sex in high school. A lot of sex. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was like also. <laughs> <laughs> you really? I was like, my God, do we sound like the biggest virgins ever? We actually played paper rock for trades, and I kept his house. <laughs> you guys can turn off. Thing. You can turn off the podcast now, folks. <laughs> the last ten minutes just on. Yeah, just, just skip it. We'll, we'll we'll edit this out in post. Um, Gil Bolberg, fan of the pod, says, "What's your favorite, most memorable Kendall Dartez moment at Louisville? And also, where does DePaul not playing a basketball game in nine months rank?" among the worst moments of 2020. Yeah, DePaul's had COVID issues, so they haven't played just yet, which sucks. But favorite, most memorable Kendall Dartez moment. He had a big dunk against UK. That's exactly what I was going to say, and I can't remember anything else. And I loved Kendall Dartez, but that's the only thing that comes to mind. The only other thing that I remember, and this is kind of the level of commitment that Kendall Dartez had to the program, because he, he wasn't a Patino recruit. He was a JUCO transfer that was here when Rick got here. But I remember the story about after they lost – to, to Butler in the uh, 03 NCAA tournament. He had his headphones in and, like, wasn't, like, reporters were trying to talk to him and he, like, wasn't talking to anybody. And Rick came over and was like, Kendall, take those headphones out. And he just goes, no. And just sat there, like, kept the headphones in and wouldn't talk to anybody. And, like, that was how he left Louisville basketball. Shockingly, Kendall Dartez has not been back for any of the events since, uh, since 03. Come on back, Kendall. Come, Come on, on back. back. Uh, Steven says, would you trade the 2013 NCAA title? For no scandal. So we still get to the title game, but we lose to Michigan, and there's no scandal of that after that of any kind. That includes wakey leaks and all the other stuff. Good question. Man, that's good. I would still I would say no. Yeah, that was what that was like a top three day in my life, you know, besides marriage and kids being born. But that was just such a great day all around from the time. I mean, we, we spent pretty much the whole day together and like the day was perfect as, as you could have it. Same. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I would not fuck with anything that happened that weekend for anything. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, Steve says, What's over? What's the over/under on the amount of times you've had to use the "whatever I was already dead inside" tweet during this fine year of 2020? Um, man, I've retweeted it. I'd say at least six or seven times this year already, and it's probably going to go up. By the way, did you see? We've already mentioned him once on the podcast, but Jalen Smith responded to when I retweeted that, uh, or I put that screenshot of the tweet out yesterday, and he was like, <laughs> "I remember exactly when this was. It was when I fumbled to lose the game against Boston College." And it was the only tweet that could make me laugh that night. And I was like, thank you, Jalen. You have a great sense <laughs> I appreciate it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, you've, you've, uh, you've gotten some mileage out of that tweet, unfortunately, for, for us as a fan base. The thing was, though, it, it actually wasn't when he fumbled in that game. It was, when, um, it, was that, it was that game, but it was the play when A.J. Dillon for Boston College like trucked all of our dudes, like threw like five guys aside like ragdolls, 
and scored to like put them ahead what looked like it was unreachable like that's when I sent that tweet out it wasn't actually after the fumble it was after that play so but I appreciate that Jalen Smith at least saw it uh let's see here uh my guy uh Corid19 says will RPI even matter if we make it to selection Sunday given all the cancellations due to COVID selection Sunday is going to be I mean just a total clusterfuck like they're still going to do the net rankings Uh, they don't use RPI anymore but like the selection committee is going to have to take nuance into consideration because you're going to be comparing teams that have played like seven games with teams that have played 20 games. It's just, it's going to matter, but I feel like it's going to matter less this year than in years past. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it, it seems like they're, they're going away from the RPI anyways, but they don't I don't use I, it anymore. Yeah. I, I, I don't envy um, the selection committee this year, but just as long as we're there, I don't really care. Like at this point, I'm like, please God, can we just play a tournament game? I know. Um, <clears throat> my guy Derek Helderman says, at this point, what's the over under on number of basketball games we actually get to play? I say 18. Everything is terrible. I'd put it at if we're talking about if we're talking about just regular season. Let's let's throw the NCAA tournament and the ACC tournament out of it because that's kind of trying to predict how well we're going to play in the postseason. So we had 27 games scheduled to, to be played going into the year. UNC Greensboro is is canceled. Wisconsin's postponed. I guess we could technically pick up another non-conference game to make it seven. I don't think we will. Um, I'll put the over-under at, if I said 21 and a half, I'd say slightly over. Like I, I think we'll have two or three ga- ACC games maybe canceled. Um Maybe Wisconsin doesn't get picked up. That would put us at down four games, and so we'd play a total of 23. I, I'll say we play like 22 or 23 games. Yeah, I mean, it's like this is like the biggest crapshoot answer ever. I, I mean, I, I, we have no idea. I'll I'll just say over because I want to be optimistic and and hope that we play as many games as possible. But I could totally be wrong. I, you know, I'll say 20. I'll say 24. Uh, great opinion says, what's the, your worst visiting fan experience, basketball or football? Do you have a worst, uh, visiting road game experience as a fan, Dan? Uh, Commonwealth Stadium, <laughs> easily. I mean, I, I, like, even at Rupp, like, Rupp was tough, um, but Commonwealth, like, they were absolutely just drunk, rabid assholes the entire time. I, and I think I've been to two, UVL UK games there. Um, one was unfortunately the Stevie Johnson got loose game. Um, so that really sucked, but, uh, definitely had some mean shit said to me. Um, couple confrontations. So I would easily say, uh, Commonwealth. Well, now it's not even common. What is it? Kentucky football stadium or Kroger field or whatever it is. Yeah. Looking back on it, like that year that we all went and I wore, we were in college, I wore a Got Patino t-shirt in the middle of the UK <laughs> student section. One of the ballsiest slash dumbest things I've ever done in my entire life. But, you know, we went, and we also almost, like it was the, um, it was the 05 season when we were like huge favorites. It was early on and they almost, they were going in for the game Woodson time. fumbled on the one. I remember Woodson that. fumbled on the one. It was the only thing that saved us. Thankfully, like all their fans left at halftime because we were up like 21 to three or something and, yeah. The other thing that I love about that game is Art Carmody missed a chippy field goal right before halftime. And he always tells a story about how like Bobby Petrino came to him and was like, how much money do you have on the fucking game, Art? Like how much money do you have on this game? Like, that was <laughs> the nicest, like, most 
laid back guy in the entire world. Petrino openly accusing him of betting on the other team, being like a uh, just hilarious. Um, Smith says favorite Blizzard. I'll hang up and listen. I'm a big Blizzard guy. Do you have a favorite one? I mean, I'm I'm a play the hits guy. I just go with Oreo every time. Jesus Christ. Um, every time I have a new favorite Blizzard, though, they take it off the menu. Like I love. They had this Oreo cheesequake a couple months ago. That was like Oreo and cheesecake bits. It was good. Now it's gone. I loved the uh, Royal Reese Brownie one. That's gone. Um, so I've kind of been going. Here's a off the grid choice. Not a Blizzard. I've been going with the Oreo Brownie Cup Fection recently. Fucking delicious. <laughs> It's incredible. Uh, nothing makes me feel like more of a fat ass than Dairy Queen, like here in where I live in Dublin, Ohio. Like the closest one is like 18 to 20 minutes away. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm going to drive that full 20 minutes just to get a blizzard. I'm like, that, that they're too good. I mean, I'll, like, so we have one kind of close to our house. And like a couple of times I've gone there and the ice cream machine hasn't been working. And I realize it's like a 40-minute round trip to go to the other one. And I'll, I'll text Mary and I'll be like, I've come this far. I, I can't not come. I, I can't come home without blizzards at this point. I'll see you in an hour. And, and like that's how far I go to try and have like a, a blizzard on a weekend night. Um, let's see here. Bert says, who should be the next football coach and why is it Brian Brom? Um, look, we both give Brom shit because we, we, we're, we're friends. We knew him in high school. I've given him shit since I started doing the website. I, Brian's also like, he's legitimately an awesome guy. I think he's going to be a great head coach. He won um, with Purdue at the beginning of the year uh, in his one game as the interim coach while Jeff was dealing with COVID, which now seems more remarkable since Purdue has kind of sucked since then. I would love for Brian to eventually one day be the head coach here at Louisville. I think that would be a cool thing for everybody involved. Um, would he's he's probably gonna have to prove it somewhere else first. Yeah, you know, need to see him be a coach at a a lower level school, but. Man, if it comes down to it, if he warrants the job, if he's earned the job, I'd love Brian to be the head coach here one day. No, 100%. And, I mean, you're talking about someone that (laughs) – if you get one of the Brahms to be the head coach here, that is finally someone where I feel like we really wouldn't have to worry about, um, you know, them snooping around and looking for other jobs. Um, which would be one comforting fact about having them here. Um, and I'm with you. I mean, we, we give Brian shit a lot, but he, he's a great guy. They're a great family. Um, but I think, you know, for his sake as well, it would probably be better off for, for him to, to kind of prove it at, uh, maybe a, a, a lower tier school versus, um, you know, making the, the jump right to Louisville. Uh, John says, what would be worse? Worse. Feeling really good about winning the UK game, and then A, it gets canceled, or B, we lose. Um, say that question again. I'm like losing my mind here. He's asking if we're if we're feeling really good about going into the UK game, would it be worse if the game gets canceled? Oh, lose a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's an obvious answer. I mean, I yeah. If it gets canceled, it's going to be frustrating, but we'll, like you said, we'll, we'll, we'll claim it as a win. We're just going yeah, to chalk it up and exactly. say we if we, if we lost this year, I like it. then you're, then you really get in, <laughs> into some dangerous thoughts. Uh, okay. Last one here from, uh, Robert Thomas says, do you think there's a Calipari, Calipari kryptonite effect in which coaches that are massive goofballs have a much better shot at embarrassing in non-con games? Uh, the Pastner Crean theory. Is Mac just too much of a genuinely normal person to beat Calipari? I love this theory. Yeah, I mean that's that's about as deep as it gets right there. 
Um, I mean, because like, here's the deal. Uh, I, to use your phrase, here's the deal. Um, Pastner and Crean both kind of did okay against Rick Pitino back in the day. Remember Crean's when he was just starting off in Marquette, that was the big thing in Conference USA was he's the one guy who can coach against Rick Pitino because he's not afraid of him. And then Pastner swept us in 2014 when he was at Memphis, beat us with Georgia Tech last year. Like, I, I, I like this idea that normal, really successful coaches can't coach against guys that are just too fucking weird. Are we are we lumping Mick Cronin in that category? Because he had some success against Rick as well, if I if I remember correctly. He did. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe this guy's on to something. Mick is kind of weird. By the way, did you see that Mick was asked who he was rooting for in the Xavier Cincinnati game, and he was like Xavier. <laughs> Dude, Rick has like yeah, or Rick Mick has like just I don't know. He just like. Sometimes he tries to be an asshole. It's 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 truly amazing. Like he's he he like wants to be hateable. All right, uh, we, we've gone on too long here, so we need to. I'm going to talk more with uh, about the Scott Satterfield situation with Keith Wynn. We'll also like spend 30 seconds previewing the Wake Forest game and talk a little bit about recruiting and what's going on with Louisville football. But before we get out of here, we want to remind you guys: if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Please give us a rating. Please write us a review. And like we've talked about a couple of times, when you leave us a review. Even if it's weird or bad or whatever, we're probably going to read it on the show. We've got three new reviews this week. Um, uh, I'm going to read them. This is from uh, Teddy Valentine. It's a five-star review. He says, wacky weekly fun. Follow along two mid-30s aged dads who invest their entire emotional state in the athletic ability of 18 to 22-year-olds. Needless to say, hijinks ensue. Pretty accurate. That, that has a lot of uh, Bruce Almighty, like, let's send it back to wacky Bruce vibes to it. Um, but, but I, I love it. Uh, Beach one two three four five six seven eight nine says Ruthdick does an okay job, but Dan carries the show. Honestly, you could probably replace Mike with Bompy and have deeper insight. Maybe replace Rutherford with that handsome guy Greer. He has great hair. Jeff does have great hair. I can't. I can't fight it. Yeah, I, I was convinced one of my friends wrote that as a joke, but um, obviously we know that's not true. But we we, we appreciate you leaving the review. Um, but we all know Mike carries the show here. All right. And we've been getting like, we have 552 ratings now. Almost all of them are five stars. Maybe we've been getting a little bit too cocky and we're going to get humbled here. We have a three star review from GD seal who says the topic is the, the, the subject of the comment comment is informative, but not family friendly, which is, 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 I don't know how informative we are. But uh, and he says, uh, they cover the topics I am interested in hearing and related to the cards, but I cannot listen to it around the house or in the car because of the unnecessary expletives. Um, it's been a constant criticism of mine since I started doing the podcast and when I was back in radio. But look, we put like every single episode has the little it's marked expletive. I have to check a box. If you don't do it, Apple podcast gets gets mad. I can't stop saying fucking shit. It's the biggest it's the biggest advantage that I have doing this podcast compared to when I was doing radio. And I'm sorry you can't listen to it in the car with kids or, or around the house with kids, but it's not going to change. But I appreciate the three star review. It, we are I don't even know if we're informative, but we're definitely not family friendly, Dan. 
Yeah. If, if this person, if she wants to write us an email or he or she, I, I, sorry, I don't remember, um, what the username was, but, um, if they want me and you just to do a non-explicit version of the podcast, we'll just call them up and give them like a quick 20, 25 minute to give them their own personal podcast. That way we want everyone on our good side. What if we had to like do the podcast and, and dub it over like, like they do with movies on TNT or TBS and it, <laughs> strike this guy out? Like it's like, yeah, it's like, like God, watch the game last night, but the freaking Louisville Cardinals <laughs> just beat the freaking Duke Blue Devils in freaking Cameron Indoor Stadium. Like that would be, I actually kind of want to do it now. It'd be a lot of time, but it'd be funny. Yeah. yeah. If, if someone wants to get hired for that job, just send us your resume. I didn't even ask about Dan of the Dumps, but you said you were just going to do some some bad story. Do you just want to skip Dan of the Dumps, save it for next week? Yeah, we'll say, we'll say I didn't really have one that that was you know earth shattering this week, so I'll uh, I'll save it for next time. All right, we got a new pod coming later this week uh, with Keith, where we'll talk about uh, all things going on with the football program, not just the Scott Satterfield stuff, but the Wake Forest game as well. Um, sucks that we don't have we don't really know what's going on with basketball, but there will be games again soon. There will be pods in the meantime. And until we talk to you guys again, go Cards. Go Cards.